0: moms dads the children always make you happy no you got you're in church you got to be honest (laughs) they don't always make you happy but there is anything in the world that could steal your joy knowing they're a gift from God to you that's what we're going to talk about today difference between happy and joy Good morning, church. I want to thank Pastor Danny for having me here. Uh, He's risking everything by that. He knows it, but I'll hopefully not fail him. It is uh, great to be in Virginia. I've been in Virginia lately a whole bunch. A Couple weeks ago, I was in Martinsville uh, at the race. It's the coldest I've ever been in my life. It rained, the temperature was in the 30s. I was miserable. The only warm place in that whole place was the men's room. They had a heater. I'm not going to tell you what I did in response to that, but I spent a lot of time there. And also, just last uh, week, I was uh, at the Virginia International Raceway. Uh, My son uh, runs motorcycles up there, so I got him. Uh, going over 150 miles an hour and scaring to death out of his dad. It was uh, something to see. I, I did enjoy that. And it was such a wonderful ride up here, such a great day. It's uh, beautiful coming up Route 8. I used to travel that route uh, going to the courthouse in Danbury uh, as a lawyer. And so I'm really pleased to be here. A, a little personal history uh, and it's, it's primarily because it fits with this sermon. I came to know Jesus late in my life, uh, late 30s. I was a type A personality, and I was a type A sinner. I was a trial lawyer. I was a better sinner than I was a lawyer. And uh, although I didn't call it this, sin was ruining my life. And uh, I lived brief moments of pleasure, usually associated with sin. And I saw life through guilt, depression, a sense of resignation that, you know, this is what life is about, pain, disappointment. I was a type A atheist, and I was really good at that. To make a long story short, I had a legal assistant who was a believer. I used to make fun of her all the time. Uh, But she knew my life was a mess and she told me I ought to go to her church. And I thought, well, why not? Uh, I'll do that. And there I met this old pastor and he introduced me uh, to Jesus. And the Lamb of God, through them, told me to get out of the tree. And I received a seat at his table, and I counted all joy. So the sermon is, in fact, get out of the tree. We're gonna talk about Zacchaeus, and it's more than a story about a wee little man it's rich with lessons about God and how we should live. And my focus will be on the response of Zacchaeus to Jesus and the word joyfully. Now in preparation again, I got to be honest, I'm in church. I've reviewed any number of sources in hopes that uh, they will help me make a valid point that you will remember. They include John Calvin's commentaries, uh, George Whitfield, an 18th century uh, preacher who uh, preached a sermon on Zacchaeus, and two books by Tim Keller, one called Making Sense of God, and the other is The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy. That little book is my gift to you in the memory of Pastor Dick Little. He was the old pastor that God used me to turn my life around from one of melancholy to one of joy. It's a little book, but it's had a major impact on my life. And my prayer for each of you is that it will help you as much as it has helped me to understand the biblical concept of joy. Now, none of these resources are a substitute for Scripture, but they are aids in helping each of us to better understand Scripture. Two cautions. One, I recognize there are better verses of Scripture that talk or discuss joy. And I'm going to reference a lot of those. But Zacchaeus, you see, he reminds me of me. Not because I'm small in stature, but because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who was once hoping to find somewhere, somehow, this idea of joy. Number two, it is not a sermon about self-help. It's about God help. You've missed the point if you hear this message as seven simple steps to happiness. Remember, it's not self-help, it's God help. Now, typical sermon, Pastor Danny would tell you that normally has three points. I'm going to make mine simple. First point's going to be good news. The second point's going to be bad news. The third point's going to be really great news. So let's turn to Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. The story of Zacchaeus. Now he entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost." Now, Jericho in New Testament times, it's not the old Jericho. The old Jericho was south. And it was located on an important trade route. And it was known for its beauty and its wealth. It was the kind of city where a chief tax collector could make a lot of money. And Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector. And he got a cut from all the other tax collectors. He worked for the Roman occupiers. So the Jews viewed him as what? A traitor. They hated him. They despised him. He had gotten rich off of their labor. And he was small in stature. All right, here's the bad joke in this sermon. Get ready for it. How small was he? He was so small if he sneezed. This is so stupid. He was so short that if he sneezed, he'd hit his head on the ground. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't that funny. (laughs) It's more stupid than funny, but I, I couldn't help it. All right, the context. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified. At the end of chapter 18 of Luke, he saves a poor man, the blind beggar. And now he's going to save a rich man, Zacchaeus. Look at verse 2. Behold, there was a man. You know what that means? What they're saying is, look, look at the crook. He's worthy only of our contempt. He's pointing them out. Verses 3 and 4. But he's seeking to see Jesus. By this time, Jesus was well known. He was drawing large crowds. And so Zacchaeus runs ahead and he climbs a sycamore tree. This guy is curious. He wants to see this fellow named Jesus. In verse 5. We hear this command. It's not a request. Do you notice that? Oh, Zacchaeus, you mind coming down from the tree? No, it's a command, not a request. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. And here's the key for today, verse 6. How did Zacchaeus respond? You think he was surprised? That Jesus stopped, looked up, and told him of all people to come down? Did Zacchaeus grumble like all the others? Did he do as you would have done uh, years ago when your mom asked you to do something? Why? (laughs) Why should I come down? What for? He got out of the tree. And his life was changed forever. He hurried, just as commanded, and received him joyfully. And this is how that great preacher of the great awakening, George Whitfield, described this moment. With this outward call, there went an efficacious power from God, which sweetly overruled his natural will so that he received him not only into his house but also into his heart. Is that not wonderful? Is that not wonderful? So the good news is joy. Joy, we're meant for joy. Scripture says joyfully, the NIV puts gladly in there. I I don't think that really gets it. You could be glad about a lot of things and not really joyful. Uh, I don't think glad would make me give up half of my goods. I think, Sheriff, I think it would take a court order for me to give up half of my stuff. I'd have to be more than glad. The New Living Translation does a little better job. It says great excitement and joy. That's better. Here's the biblical idea of joy. In the Hebrew, delight arising from consideration of present or assured possession of a future good. Let me say that again. It's delight arising from consideration of present, now, or assured possession, something you're going to have. In the future, that's good. In the Old Testament, it's often associated with the nation of Israel. Uh, Another way to look at it, and sometimes used, would suggest leaping or spinning around in pleasure. In the New Testament, joy is almost always the result of of the gospel, the good news. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Scripture doesn't talk a lot about happiness. It talks about joy. All right, hold that little girl cuz in a moment I'm going to sing and I and I can't sing. All right, when you were in Bible school, you never sang I got happy, 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 happy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in, you never did that. Wasn't biblical. I didn't mean to scare. (laughs) Why joy and not happy? Joy. Is a quality. It's an essential characteristic in Scripture. It's not simply an emotion. Emotions are temporary, they depend on circumstances. They can mislead you. They can, can you believe this? Your emotions can sometimes be wrong. They can go up, they can go down, they can go all around. Joy is eternal. Let's look at some of those scripture verses to help us see the difference. Here's Nehemiah 8.10. Even in the presence of sin, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Even in dark times. Psalm 4.7. Better than possessions, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Even in the lack of possessions, there can be joy. John 16, 22. Jesus, no one can take the joy that I leave you. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's not temporary. John 15, 11, Jesus again. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's of God. You don't create it. It's of God. Now, you don't have to write all these down. Trust me, I'm a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Sheriff, I understand that uh, Pastor Pastor Lee, he's let two lawyers be a member of this church. (laughs) They're right there. Lord have mercy. (laughs) Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope Fill you with all joy. Again, it's of God. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet the trials of various kinds, even in dark times. 1 Peter 1, 8. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy is incredible. Joy, even in the presence of sin. Joy, even in the presence of trials. Joy is better than stuff. Joy, no one can steal it. Joy, be filled with it. Joy, it's inexpressible. Joy, it's filled with glory. You know, that's why, have you ever thought of that? That's why even in the face of death, Christians can grieve yet still rejoice. It's the only reason we can do that. It's the only reason we can do that. Now, that's the good news. Here comes some bad news. We're Presbyterians. We've got to have some bad news here. And here it comes. Anyone see the problem? Let me give you a clue. If someone were to ask you today how are you doing? The most common response is what? Oh, I'm fine. Uh -uh, I'm fine. Does that sound like joy? Now, you don't got to twirl around. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm fine. Further clues why we say that and what steals our joy. All right. Open your Bibles to the book of Gordon. Don't let me hear them ruffling, because there's no book of Gordon in the Bible. Chapter 12, verses 15 to 32. And it came to pass in Mudville, the chief priests, Pharisees, and Sadducees were all a twitter as they were arguing over who would sit at the right hand of the prophet Gordon at dinner. The local harlot, Madonna of Hollywood, was depressed. Despite being well known to all the local leaders, she knew she would be denied a seat at the table. The leaders recognized a seat at the table with the prophet would confirm their importance to the community. Yet they wouldn't be satisfied with just any seat. Each of them yearned for the seat to the prophet's right. You see, it was the pole position of life, the highest honor that one could obtain. I deserve the pole position, said Samuel of Stuart. I carved out the giant love sign out of a single piece of rock. I deserve the pole position, said Micah of Martinsville. I operate the Wood Brothers Chariot Museum. Madonna could barely fight back the tears of sadness. Despite her fame and fortune, she wouldn't be at dinner. Having overheard the conversation, Zacchaeus could only smile. He had more money and toys than all of them put together. He didn't need no seat at the table, yet at the appointed hour, the prophet Gordon failed to show up, and therefore there was no joy in Mudville the mighty prophet had struck out. Thus reads the book of Gordon. We are, folks, we are all looking for meaning, a sense of fulfillment in the wrong places. It's our culture. There was no joy in Mudville. Why? They're arguing about the best seat. Sounds like the disciples. Who's more deserving? No, it's me. No, no, it's not you, it's me. They're comparing themselves to each other. They're not happy unless they're somehow recognized. I've got money, I've got stuff, I don't care. You know, the real Madonna, now this part's true. It's not out of the book of Gordon. She has sold over 300 million records. She's won a Golden Globe. She has more fame and fortune than any of us will likely see. Yet in a Vogue magazine interview, here's what she said. She fears being mediocre she feels the need to prove herself. And she looks down the road and sees her future as one where the struggle to be more, to prove herself more never ends. And she, and she guesses it never will. She's on this ed- endless treadmill. And so, despite everything she has, does it sound like joy? Of course not. Of course not. Now, most people in America, despite inflation, were significantly wealthier and more comfortable than the rest of the world. Are we happier? Few people would say yes. What's more depressing? It's the same for many in God's church. What we think will fulfill us won't. All is vanity. I think someone told us that. Our hearts are filled with fear, pride, desire for power, for more stuff. We're too busy trying to find joy through our spouse, our kids, a new car, a career, for young people especially, sex, drugs, alcohol. And none of them will truly satisfy. Here's what Augustine, the church's most prominent theologian, had to say about people. Every person sets out to be happy every person. But this is what he recognized. But the majority are wretched. Wretched. Holy cow. Why? And he points out one reason that he sees that's obvious. What we love, what we really desire, is out of order. We love less important things a lot. And we love important things less. We fail to love the first thing first. What's the first thing, church? Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. Instead of joy, we settle for happy. Knowing. It's not fooling you. Knowing that that's superficial, it's temporary. What we find doesn't bring fulfillment, satisfaction, or joy. So over time, what we do is we double down. We try harder, we do more, we get more. And the treadmill to nowhere keeps going, keeps going. And eventually leads to resentment. We blame ourselves. Well, I must have done something wrong. I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like I know I should. Or, more often maybe, we blame others. Well, it's their fault if they wouldn't have done that to me. And pretty soon, it's easy to become a cynic and harden your heart to joy. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, here's the great news. There's a solution. There's a solution. And it's the reason that the Bible talks about joy and not happiness. We were made for joy. We were promised joy, not happiness. We will experience sadness, bumps in the road. The Bible's clear about that. But joy is eternal. Happiness is just temporary. Joy is a quality. Happiness is just a passing emotion. Joy is a gift from God. Happiness depends on you. Joy can stand up to difficulties, even death. Happiness depends on your circumstances. You want joy? Don't be afraid to say yes. It's what God wants for you. I taught scuba diving for over 20 years, and we used to teach everybody that you can't swim against a current, even a mild current. Eventually the water is going to win. It's it's just going to do that. That's why if you go to the beach, you've always heard someone say, if you're caught in a riptide, don't try to swim against the current, swim across it. You can't beat the water. Even a good swimmer eventually is going to lose to the way the current is going. Now, here's a secret. I'm going to share it with you from scuba diving. You promise not to tell any other church? Okay. Well, go ahead tell them. God created the universe and set up a current, a current for our lives, our spiritual lives, that goes a certain way. And if you swim against it, you will never find joy. You just won't. Joy is a spiritual gift. I can't, Gordon can't lead you to joy, but I can suggest ways that will help you to stop swimming against the current first recognize your sin it softens your heart if you're still pretending you're not a sinner (laughs) that's a tough way to go if you recognize you're no different than anyone else as a sinner it'll soften your heart Two, acknowledge god's grace this is that's why it's so amazing Grace ignites the heart. It makes it receptive to joy. Rejoice in the knowledge that God loves you and accepts you and that you are worthy of joy. You are worthy. Stop putting yourselves on trial. You have already been found not guilty by the most powerful judge in the universe. It should open your heart to joy to know that. C.S. Lewis put it this way, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Look to yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness despair rage ruin and decay look to christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in all the good stuff number three socrates said know thyself you know what the apostle paul said Know Christ. Don't make yourself the center of everything. You're not the main thing. You just are. Four, pray. Pray that God would reveal to you those things in your life that steal your joy. Five, this is not a request for you to stop loving something Don't love anything less that's good for you. Love God more. Life is so much easier. If you love God more, it puts you going with the flow of all of history, all of creation. Life's so much easier that way. Five, if you do get stuck, I'm not naive. I recognize there are times in our Christian walk The difficulties just seem to, the burden is so great, we feel lost, we wonder where the joy went, if it could ever be found again. First, if you find yourself in that place, stop looking for the holy grail of happiness. It's not out there. Pray through the difficulty. Ask the Holy Spirit to renew your joy. And seven, get out of that tree. Read the little book I gave you. If my sermon has failed miserably, Tim Keller is smarter than I will ever be. And he will help you see that joy is meant for you. Jesus is calling you. Wants you to dine with him. He wants you to experience his joy. Stop chasing. Folks, just stop chasing those things that won't last. They won't satisfy. Young people, if I could could tell you anything that I've learned from my sorry first half of my life, the things that you think will promise you happiness, a lot of them, that's not what it's going to do. It's not gonna do it. Don't lose your love for the first thing. Let's pray. Lord, let us rejoice in you always. For you have made us for joy. Holy Spirit, pour out your joy. Renew our joy. Let others see Christ Through the joy in our hearts, let not a single saint leave here today without the joy of your good news in their hearts. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen one piece.